You are welcome to a great moment in destiny. God is about to speak directly to you and the message coming right up is crafted by heaven not just to challenge you but to align your destiny. As you embrace divine instruction, expect that God's word is bringing about revival, healing, restoration and transformation to your entire life. With faith in your heart and great expectation, join me and receive God's word through his choice vessel. I said amen. amen. Hallelujah. Are you breathing? I said, are you breathing? It is so good to be with you. I said this in my first session this morning. You don't know how good it is to be able to see you. You know, during the COVID, which um, a lot of countries were shut down, but in the midst of the COVID, I was still traveling. I was traveling more within the United States. And then I was doing a lot of, um, uh, what do you call, zooming and streaming to nations. And it is one of the most difficult to do. It is so difficult because here I am and I'm ministering and I can't see anybody. I don't even know the response of the people. And so normally there are requests for zooming to be done. But I prefer the streaming because I want to be able to position myself on my pulpit or somewhere instead of creating a background and then just uh, preach and teach. But the Lord taught me something significant. When it began, actually the last meeting I did outside of the country was actually in Lagos. And we flew back home and all of a sudden the borders were closed. And it bothers me for a while because I had all these tons of meetings that I have to do. And all of a sudden, each of these speakers start requesting for me to do it through Zoom. The Lord spoke this to my heart. He said, son, I'm giving you a season to rest. You know, sometimes when you, when you experience things, you might not be able to really recognize the purposes of it. And the Lord says, I'm going to get you to rest. I'm going to get you to spend some time with your wife. I mean, I, I had the privilege to have one of the best women on earth. Just on earth. Married for 33 years to the same woman on earth. And to be released to travel every week to some part of the world, there must be a grace. And so within the time, even while I was traveling, it just gave me the real opportunity to spend a great time with my wife. She pastors with me, Dream Life Church. She really does all the work. She functions more in a strong healing ministry. Can you imagine that? So when I experience pain or something, after I've spoken in tongues for a while and don't see results, I just slide my head to her. I say, lay your hands. And just like that, you know, just like that, something happens. So I carry a part of her grace on me as I declare the word of the Lord. I want you to understand how significant this conference is have. But I also want you to understand how significant the grace is on the host himself. 
It's almost seven years ago. Almost seven years ago. You know, there are a couple of friends that I have. Friendship is covenant. It is not just an acquaintance. Couple of friends. If you have ten friends, there is a problem. You know, you probably have a lot of acquaintances. And in your ten friends, in your ten so-called friends, you probably have three of them or four of them that you can confide in. You can talk to. You can be yourself. And you can just relate to. And I encourage you, find someone in your life that you can actually have as a friend. And almost seven years ago, we had this connection. I never will forget because I tell this story to my wife. I came on the invitation to minister on behalf of one of my daughters. And in that meeting, there was this brother who requested, and he said this statement. He says, can I meet with you at some point? And I said, okay, let me look at my schedule. And we met at the Transcorp Hilton Hotel. I mean, just the moment we began to talk, there was a connection. Just like that. You know, have you ever met people like that in your life? That the moment you begin, you could tell, I've seen you before. I've been with you before. We belong to the same tribe. Okay? The same stream. It is easy to actually communicate a truth without explaining it in 10 statements. Because you belong to the same tribe. And the connection just grew and grew. So thank you, Apostle. Thank you so much for the relationship. It is a relationship that we value. And my wife makes sure that I extend my greetings to you and Pastor Bimbo. You know, the interesting thing about her, I watched her, and periodically, when, when I come to minister, just the grace she carries. She carries a grace on her. I mean, just real simple, but the simplicity of that which she, she carries makes a level of impact in your heart. So I honor you. Honor you so much. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. And the Spirit of God reside upon you and strengthens you to undergird the grace that is upon this house. In the name of Jesus. I said, in the name of Jesus. There are probably other leaders here. Um, I was uh, my brother and my sister. I don't know if, she, uh, if they are here uh, tonight. Uh, my brother Walter and the wife. Uh, uh, now, they're hiding. I want you to please come out. I want to make sure. To me, it is significant to me that the, those that are in my life, those that are in my life means a great deal. So, come on. Come on, Walter. Where's your wife? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. I mean, for the one hour, whatever, I'm in charge. That, all right. So, come on. This is my brother. Come on, come on. He, they don't want to be recognized. They don't want to be recognized. And uh, we love them. My wife and I, you know, every time she talks about Ice uh, Walter. In fact, the question in the hotel, did you see Walter yet and the wife? Did you greet them for me? I say, easy. Okay. 
When I flew in, I had to rest. Because when I fly out of here, I'm flying again to another meeting. And I want to be able to curtail my strength. I'm so glad to see you guys. So glad. I'm never ashamed about my friends and the relationship in my life. They mean a great deal to me. I have those in Lagos, every strategic area that I have. God gives me a relationship that I find. And I make sure that I pray for them. At the beginning, we have 25 names that I pray for constantly. The first, the intercessors pray for them. And it increased based on the relationship to now 36 names. And these 36 names are all written with their family. And you can count on that. That when I'm in relationship with you, there is always a fire that is burning on your behalf. And the enemy doesn't have the ability to defeat you. Because across the ocean, there are groups of people right now as I'm ministering to you. 24 hours, they are praying, making sure that the will of the Father is done. So lift up your hands. I feel the presence of the Lord tonight. I want us to believe God for something greater. Expectation is always the breeding ground, not just for miracle, but for any transformation. So spirit of grace, we thank you because you've been here before we showed up. We thank you for your presence, your power. We thank you for what you have ordained to be established. Father, we receive it now. We receive it and we rejoice over it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And amen. amen. Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to track with me. I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 85. The book of Be Seated. Thank you. Be Seated. Psalm chapter 85. Now, if you were with us this morning in our first session, I introduce what I'm going to be dealing with all through my four sessions. Meaning tonight and then tomorrow morning and then on Sunday morning itself. It is important to me, it is significant in my heart. Because of the theme of the conference, it is imperative that we not just have an understanding, but a revelation about the spirit of revival. And so I said this morning that I'm going to be talking to you on the mysteries of revival. The mysteries of revival and its application. How revival is applied in our daily lives or in the life of a nation, in the life of a church. So that we can be able to see the result that God intended. I want you to track with me because many of you weren't here in the morning session. So your ability to be able to connect to what the Spirit of the Lord is going to say tonight has to do with regenerating some of the things that I talked about this morning. Very important. Okay, I explain what mysteries are. And sometimes when you hear the word mysteries, it sounds scary and complicated. But in the Greek, it is simply the word secrets that is revealed to a group of people that are in a sect or in a fraternity. That's what the Greek means. 
In the kingdom of God, when we get translated from the kingdom of uh, darkness to the kingdom of God, we belong to a new fraternity, a new cult. We are the people of the way. And so there are truths or secrets or principles or keys that are revealed to you. The Bible says that the secret of the Lord is with them that fears him. That means those that fears him are within this kingdom. We have the privilege to understand the secrets of the Lord. The scripture is governed by secrets. It is governed by keys, by principle. I said every time you read scripture, you look for the promises of God. Because the promises of God declares God's intention towards you. But then secondly, you must look for the keys or the principles to be able to activate these promises. There is never a promise that becomes a reality in the life of the believer that is not activated by a principle. So always look for the principle. God wants to heal you, but there is a principle to be activated. God wants to deliver you, but there is a principle to be activated. God wants to prosper you as exciting as it is. There is a principle that you must activate for the spirit of prosperity to become a reality in your life. Now, this is what we dealt with at the beginning. Now, in dealing with the mysteries of revival, there were three things that I began to introduce to you. Number one, we began to talk about the seasons of revival. That God never does anything in absence of season. So I said this statement. That the nature of the seasons of God is often the nature of the visitations of God. That means that every time God brings a season into your life, God is really visiting you. You cannot differentiate a season from a visitation. It is the nature of revival. It is the nature of restoration. The restoration of the power of God of the glory of God and of the favor of God in that which God accomplished within that season. Now, seasons are likened to visitations. Visitations are likened to revival. And revival are likened to waves. If you ever experience a wave, this is the way it comes. A wave comes, the wave rises, the wave crests, and the wave now goes away. Which means that uh, a season comes into your life and the seasons goes. Revival comes in and revival goes. A visitation comes in and a visitation goes. So you have to be able to understand the seasons of this visitation. We explain what seasons are because you can never be able to embrace the fullness of revival without understanding what the dynamics of seasons are. We define a season as simply a pocket of time. It is a pocket of time that the Spirit of the Lord introduces into your life in order to accomplish an agenda. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says this one statement. To everything there is a season. Everything. Which means that anything that God intends to do in your life, first he has to introduce a season in order to be able to birth it. But not just a season, there is also a timing for every purposes that is accomplished. The principle goes like this, that every season has to be connected with a divine timing for a manifestation to become a reality. So you can actually come into your season 
but yet not into the timing yet. Timing and seasons must be married together for you to see a manifestation. When you study John chapter 5, verse 1 to 7, we read it in the first session. We see exactly what the Spirit of God was saying concerning season. Hear me, beloved. It is important that you understand this dynamics of seasons itself. Because this is where a lot of believers actually make mistakes. We get frustrated, depressed, and discouraged because we've not seen a result. You know, over a prolonged period of time, you've been praying for something. You've been believing for something. And you say, well, I don't know why this hasn't happened. And the enemy can take advantage of your mind and thinking and give you the impression that it is because you have sinned. The way the kingdom works is this. God wants to heal you, yes. He wants to deliver you, yes. He wants to prosper you, yes. He wants to bring a revival. Everybody say yes. Yes, he wants to bring it. But he has to make sure that the season for it now becomes, that the season for it becomes comparable to what he intends to do. I gave this example. Many of you have lived in the Western world. Some of you have homes there. And some of you periodically travel to the Western world. Well, the Western world is governed really pretty much by four seasons, especially if you live in the area that I live in, not in Arizona, not in Florida, but if you live in New York area and all of that, we experience the four seasons itself. Now, when you pray for, you pray for snow in the summer. I mean, if you know snow doesn't show up in summer. As much as you want snow, as much as you cry for snow, as much as you roll on the floor for snow, as much as you talk in tongues for snow, snow will not come because the season for it has not been put together. So guess what God does? That I'm going to now create a season that is comparable to what you are asking. So that when the season comes in, that desire now becomes a reality. Do you catch what I'm saying? But the dynamic is this. That seasons has to be connected with divine timing itself. Okay? So it has to be connected together. So for example... Now, those of you also understand that snow does not fall every day in the winter. Am I right? It doesn't fall. My wife called me while I was in the hotel and said, we just had snow again. Now, to me, snow is very costly because I live in an area where when it has snow, I have to get a tractor literally to come in and clear my snow. So I don't pray for snow. I don't wish snow to happen because it is costly and expensive. But before I came, there wasn't any snow. So one day, now the weatherman stands and said, by Thursday, by 3 o'clock in the evening, there will be snow. It will be 5 inches or a foot of snow. Now notice how the season and the timing now connected together. The season comes, but now the timing has to be right. So when there is a marriage between the two, something happens. If you understand that, say, I do. If you don't, Understand this foundation, you really cannot understand the seasons of revival. You talk about it, you rejoice about it, but that does not mean 
that you really have the revelation about this season of it. Now, number two. Now, seasons, we have two types of seasons. In the kingdom of God as a believer and in the dimension of our living, we only have two types of seasons, he said. There is the season of the fat cows, the season of fruitfulness, the season of abundance, or the seasons of the lean cow, or the seasons of barrenness or unfruitfulness. When you study First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, the Bible talks about three characters that are prophetic pictures of the two seasons. There is Elkanah, and there is Anna, and there is Peninnah. Elkanah is a prophetic typology of God. But Anna represents a season of barrenness. Peninnah represented a season of fruitfulness. Are you listening to me? You go to Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, there were two boats. Two boats that were on shore. Jesus chose one boat and Jesus sat on that boat. And when he did, abundance came. Fruitfulness came to Simon Peter. That is a prophetic typology of a season of an abundance. But there is an unknown boat. The Bible did not give the name of the individual that owns that boat. Now that is a typology of a season of unfruitfulness. Now the danger is this. God or the spirit of God may be sitting on your boat and you believe that he's going to be there forever. That's not true. Because when the job is completed, and according to the dynamics of revival, all the blessings of God, he's going to step out of your boat, and he's going to step into someone else's boat. So you have to be careful when he's on your boat, and he's blessing you, and revival is taking place. Don't get too arrogant. Don't get too pompous. Learn to be able to be relevant, because at a point, waves comes, waves rises, Waves crest and what happens? Waves leave and he's going to step into the boat of another one. He stepped into the boat of another church, another believer, another nation and another family. And then we went further. We dealt with two major key. Track with me because I had to put this foundation in you. We explained what revival really means itself. We talked about the four things that revival represent. I don't have time to go in there. But we also talk about that there are different types of revival. You cannot focus on one type of revival. You have to be able to open your heart to God so that God can revive anything and any place that has to do with you. I said one key statement that I need to reiterate that the manifestation of a particular revival in your life, in a nation, in a city, is based on three things. Number one, it is based on the need of that person, the need of that nation, the need of that church. Number two, it is based on the degree of hunger that you possess because of the need. And then number three, it is based on the strength of the passion that you possess to pursue that need and that hunger to become a reality. Five types of revival we talked about. Number one is the revival of the supernatural. The revival of the supernatural. 
It is interesting because most believers don't even think that there is a revival of the supernatural. And this is where the grace of God comes upon the heart of an individual and develop a body so much to pray so that demonstrations become a reality frequently over a church, over a nation. Because one miracle can bring thousands of people into the kingdom of God. A friend of mine that pastors a church in California was saying this to me. He says, it is amazing how I grew my church overnight. I said, well, you didn't grow your church overnight. He experienced the revival of the supernatural. One day, there was a woman that came with the relative. She has cancer that had eaten out all over her body. They gave her a specific day to die. And she was coming in to be born again and prepare herself to die. And right in the midst of the service, hands wasn't laid. It was a word of the Lord, just like this that is being spoken. He sent his word. The word healed her and delivered her from her destruction. Like a worm came all over her from the crown of her head to the sole of her feet. She got just like that. She went to the doctor and she couldn't explain what happened. The next Sunday service, 25 members of our family came to church. Just 25. They didn't have to ask anything. We want to go to that church. We want to be there. We want to experience the same thing. They got born again. That's what the revival of the supernatural can create in an atmosphere. If you ever read the book, Like a Mighty Wind, anybody ever read it? By Mil Tari. It was the revival of the supernatural in the Indonesia area, in Java, in Jakarta, Sumatra, Surabaya. These are all in the Indonesia area. Just a mighty wave of the supernatural that was taking place. You never had to convince an individual to be born again. They just got born again. Number two, there is the revival of truth. There are certain neglected truth that periodically, because the Lord has an assignment to propel that truth all over the nations and to be able to bring a transformation, he revives the truth again. In the early 80s, there is the truth of faith that was pioneered by Brother Egan Sr., and faith becomes just a truth that was declared all over the world. I remember in the late 70s, and uh, I was in Benin City, and uh, almost a time to prepare to fly to the States. And I mean, the word of faith, uh, the teaching of faith became just so, just so popular. And we had a lot of what we call Egan's babies. Kenneth Egan's babies. And it was more predominant in the university, especially University of Benin. And you will find these kids, they walk like Brother Hagin. They talk like Brother Hagin. I said to you this morning, it made the lavalier pen, this kind of pen, it made it so popular because that's what Egan wears. And so everybody wants to be able to act like Brother Hagin because there was a revival of truth, of truth. 
truth gets revived again. And it spreads like a wildfire all over. There was faith in the Bible before. But for some reason, the Spirit of God wanted to revive faith again because there is something that is intended to accomplish. The same with the revival of prayer. Young show, Larry Lee in the United States. These individuals God used to promote the truth of prayer. The same with the revival of warfare. Warfare and deliverance. At a point, it became popular. The same with the apostolic and the prophetic ministry. It just revives it. And people began to believe in it. And so we talked about five of them. I want you to try to get a hold of the, the tape, the CD, or whatever to be able to hear the remaining. Tonight, I want to focus on this. I want to talk to you on the conditions and the catalyst for revival. The conditions and the catalyst for revival. Psalm 85 verse 6, if you could put it on the screen for me. Psalm 85 verse 6. I want to use this one verse as a flagship scripture to create an inroad over what I want to talk about. Notice what it says. Will that not what? Revive us again, again. That means at some point in our work with God, we were alive. We were vibrant. We are the passion and an energy for God and for the things of the spirit. And at some point, something happened in your life. And so when we get to those places or times in our life, we have a right to go back to God and say, will you not revive us again? Put the scripture up. Let me complete it. He said that, that people may what? May rejoice. Indeed, they may rejoice. Because once the spirit of revival is in operation, it releases the spirit of joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is a faculty of your spirit. That means that in spite of your circumstance or in spite of your problem, you can still what? Rejoice because it is a faculty of your spirit. So let's look at the conditions and the catalyst for revival. You can never begin the steps to revival unless you understand these conditions. It is these conditions that makes it possible for you to begin the step that creates revival in your life, in the church, in the family, and then in the nation itself. There are six of these steps. Quickly. Number one, you must know that revival is urgently needed. You must recognize, you must know that revival is urgently needed. When you study the book of Revelation 3, from verse 14 to verse 8, there is the church, the Laodicean church. The Bible says, This thing saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou neither art cold or hot. And God's desire is take a position. If you want to be cold, be cold. If you want to be hot, be hot. But you cannot have a mixture itself. When you find believers who live like this, 
These are individuals that never give God the privilege to be able to do what he intends to do. Okay? Go to the next verse, please. Verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will what? What will I do? I will spill thee out of my mouth. Go to the next verse. Because thou sayest, I'm what? I'm anointed. You know, I'm strong. I'm powerful. Or I'm rich and increased with goods. And have need of nothing. And know it not that thou what? Art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and what? Naked. What a description. It is almost like an individual who could not identify with their own weakness. What makes the Jebok experience in Genesis chapter 2 become so significant was when the angel of the Lord asked Jacob, What's your name? I know your name, but do you know your name? He said. He wasn't asking Jacob about his physical name. He was asking Jacob to identify with the weaknesses that he has. And Jacob was able to declare, I'm a supplanter, a liar, a backbiter, a sheep. And I could just imagine the angel of the Lord said, come on, go on, keep talking. Because the only way I'm going to bless you is when you are able to acknowledge and identify with yourself. See, the interesting thing is, Jacob requested he says, I'm not going to leave you until you bless me. Now, that word bless itself, in the original meaning, is the word benediction. Benediction is often what you declare at the end of any service. When this service is over, there's going to be a benediction. So what Jacob was simply saying is, I'm not going to let you go until you put an end to this life or lifestyle of man. And what happens is nature was changed. It is the change of that nature that makes it possible for the promises that was given to Jacob to become a reality. Isaiah chapter 9 says the word of the Lord that was spoken to Jacob lighted in Israel himself. It was spoken to Jacob, but it wasn't spoken to Jacob. It was spoken to Israel that was in Jacob that Jacob did not know was in him. And it took the Jebok experience to bring a transformation. Because Isaiah chapter 43 verse 1 says that Jacob was created, but Israel was what? Formed. Israel wasn't created. Israel was formed. There was a process that got Jacob to become Israel. Number two, you must know that revival is possible. That revival is possible. It doesn't matter how far you have gone, how horrible the nation is, how bad situation and circumstances is. You have to know that revival is possible. You got to believe it. These are the conditions for you to begin the process of the steps that bring revival. In Luke chapter 1 verse 45, the Bible said, Blessed is she that believe, for there shall be a performance of all that has been promised to her. 
Now, the word there, believe, is really key. Because to believe simply means to accept truth, to be true, even when there is no demonstrable evidence. There is no evidence that the truth is true, but because God said it, you believe that God is able to bring it to pass. In Mark chapter 11, verse 24, the Bible says, and therefore, when you pray, believe, believe that you've received, and then you shall have it. Now, two manifestations. You believe that you receive force in the spirit, right? And then you receive it, which is the manifestation of it itself. So you must know that revival is possible. It is possible, beloved. Revival is possible. You can give up. You can give in over the prolonged period of time of intercession, of praying. Revival is possible. Number three, you must know that God and God himself wills revival. It is God that wills revival. Revival is not an emotional stuff. It is not something you make up. It is not a shout or a screaming and people say, oh, there is revival. No, no, no. It is God that wills revival. It is God himself that does it. So in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, it is not. Now, this is a simple scripture. You know, I'm periodically hard to go back to this scripture and meditate on it. It is not by power. Because you can be so intelligent. You can know the how-to of something and really perfect it. And you can use that power or that ability to actually do what you do and give the impression that it is orchestrated by the Spirit of God. And so you have to get to that place where you say, it is not really by power. And many of us have not had authentic, authentic testimony. Authentic testimony where God began it, God was in the middle of it, and God completed it. Most testimony that we give, it doesn't matter where you are all over the world, we give a testimony where we put our hands in it. You know, we put our hands in it. And we keep our hands in there for a while. And then the result takes place. And then we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That may be good to you. But the next time you have a problem, it is the previous encounter that enables you to believe God for a new encounter. And if there is no degree of surety in your heart about the previous encounter, that it was God and God alone that healed you, and God and God alone that opened the door. And God and God alone that delivered you. When you come to a new encounter, you will struggle. You will struggle to believe. Please believe me. You will struggle. But oh, when he intervenes and he shows up, that becomes your personal testimony. It becomes your reference point. Every time you are in a battle, a struggle or a conflict, you can be able to take your mind back to that day, to that time that God intervened on your behalf and be able to declare to the enemy that the God of yesterday that intervened and create a breakthrough is still the same God that is able to do it today. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Number four, you must know that we must desire revival. You must know that we, you, must desire revival. 
You see, if you don't know that, you will actually sit and think that revival will fall on you. Desire is a deep craving and a deep longing in the heart of an individual for something that they believe that they want badly. So David in Psalm 27 verse 1 to verse 4 towards the end, he says one thing have I desired of the Lord. Not two, not three. Don't make a conflict of it. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. One thing. One thing. And when you complete the one thing, then you find another one thing that you believe God for. Number five. You must know that revival does not come cheaply. Revival is not cheap. You know, this is, <laughs> this is what is really amazing. In the States, periodically, during the weekend, you will find flyers and billboards, and they will say, well, we're having a three days revival. Well, if a three days revival is what creates revival, then everybody will experience revival itself. Okay? Revival isn't cheap. Revival is costly. Revival demands commitment. It demands sacrifice. It demands a willingness to let go some things and believe God that in your sacrifice that the spirit of the Lord will send a rain down that will become evidential of his power, his glory, and his favor. And then number six, you must know that revival must be pursued. It must be pursued. You see, I pray for a week, nothing happened. You can't quit. I pray for a month, nothing happened. You can't quit. You've been praying for a year for the expression of what you consider a revival. And so when we don't see anything, we quit. That's not true. You can't quit. In Luke chapter 11, 9 to 10, he said, ask and it shall be given you. You keep asking. You keep seeking. You keep knocking. You keep believing God until something happens. When you take the time to study 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 42 to verse 45, it's really intriguing to me as a leader because every time I study scripture, I try to make it very personal to me. Now, Elijah had just won the contest on Mount Carmel. The prophet of Baal are all killed. And now is the opportunity to bet rain. Because it was through him that the heavens was closed. And then through him, God has to open the heavens again. So he went to the top of the Mount Carmel. He had to position himself. In a place of prayer. Now when you read the instructions. That Elijah gave to his prodigy. To go and look. You can read it as just. Go come. Go come. Go come. Go come. Kind of simple. But when you understand. It could be a weekly thing. This week you looked. Nothing happened. This month you look. Nothing happened. This year you look, nothing happened. Can you just imagine the thinking 
of this young prophet? Why is he sending me to look at the same thing that I just explained to him that is not in existence itself? And persistency is key. Keep looking. I say keep looking. Because the word of the Lord has been released. That there is a sound of an abundance of rain. It must rain. But it didn't rain in three years. That's right. It has not rained in four years. That's right. It has not rained in six years. That's right. But the rain is coming. The rain is coming. Come on, scream it. The rain is coming. The rain is coming. The rain is coming. Never give up. Because Makoto, Zebrigede, Ankrolo Kusete, Baita, 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 Sofroto, the rain is much closer than you know. You can't quit now because the rain is right at your door. At your door. That which you declare that you heard, the next time you will speak it, that is happening. So go tell Ahab, get in a rush. Because in a moment, there is an abundance of rain that will overtake you. Did it happen? Did it happen? Yes. I said, did it happen? I said, did it happen? If it happened to an Old Testament man, why wouldn't it happen to you? But we quit too soon. God, look, we go with excitement. There is nothing. You go back. Then he said, Go again. The degree of excitement is still there. Nothing. The next time you hear it, the third time, you say, You must be stupid. I told you twice and nothing happened. I love prodigies like that. That they never declare what is in their heart to their mentor, to their spiritual father. I'm going to hide it in my heart and don't let my mentor know how I feel. I just obey it. Keep going, son. Go look again, son. Don't rumple your face. Don't pout your mouth. Don't have an attitude. Don't have a negative reaction. Just what? Keep going. Just keep going. Every time prayer is called, come out. Every day prayer is called, come out. Because you never know. You never know. When that door of rain comes in like a tsunami. Okay. Be seated. Be seated. There are some of you that you've lost hope. Your mouth speaks of something that your heart doesn't believe. The Spirit of the Lord in this conference is addressing your heart so that your heart can become connected to your mouth. Because it is the strength of my heart that releases um, a divine power out of my mouth to produce a difference that I see in my life. Now, we know the conditions. What are the catalysts that now create 
Reviver. Are you still breathing? Are you sure you're breathing? Now, this is really key. What I want to share with you. Never you forget these principles. Okay? The life of Nehemiah in scripture is a prophetic picture. The life and the response of Nehemiah towards God and towards the things of God is a prophetic picture that reveals the blueprint of how revival is birthed. Uh-huh. It reveals to us how revival is birthed, how renewal, a reawakening is birthed. So when you study Nehemiah and you study his relationship with God and you begin to see how God actually create revival. Wouldn't you like to hear that? Because I'm telling you, beloved, if you put this underneath your bed, I don't pray to be blessed. I never go on my knees and say, God, bless me. My endeavor is to please God. And I'm guaranteed that when I please him, what will God do? He just have to bless you. I mean, he just have to bless you. That's the way it goes in the kingdom. When you focus on the blessing, you take your attention to living the way God expects of you. But when you focus on living the way God expects of you, guess what happened? God just began to bless you. I prophesy to you tonight that you will receive unsolicited favor. No, you didn't hear what I said. You will receive from tonight, from tonight, as a prophet of Jehovah God, you will receive unsolicited favor. You will receive unsolicited breakthrough. You will receive unsolicited relationship. These are favors. You didn't work for it. You didn't go looking for it. You didn't beg for it. You didn't scheme. You didn't plot. You didn't knock on doors. But God by his spirit shows up on your behalf because he got your name on his mind and he's sending the favor to you. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Be seated. Hallelujah. Are you still breathing? Okay, watch now. They have five catalysts that we derive from the prophetic picture of Nehemiah. It is, it is exciting. As a preacher, a teacher, one of the things that God called me to do is to make truth simple so that you can apply it. When you read any of my materials, it is made so simple with a degree of potency that you can apply it. Because you have to understand, if all you got is knowledge, without the revelation of the application of that knowledge, there is never manifestation. I mean, we could talk Greek, we could talk deep, we could talk this. When people come to church, believe it or not, they want to know, how do I apply this in my daily life so that I can see the result of it? So I made a covenant with God that everything that comes out of me has to be made so simple that the audience can be able to not just understand it. They can have a personal revelation of it. 
Guys, a personal revelation of it. And it is that revelation that I function from. And I begin to see the result of God. When I talk to you about healing, you get excited. But you must never get excited until you understand the principles that can activate it for you. Because it is the principle that makes it personal to you. That when you get back home and you are sick in your body, the bishop, the apostle, the pastor is not there. But you remember the principle that was taught to you that if I will do this and allow the grace of God to come in, this is the result that I should be expecting. Number one, the first catalyst to a revival is circumstances. Circumstances. There must be a dissatisfaction as a result of circumstances or happenings in the land, in the church, in your life to begin the steps of revival. Pain, pain gives birth to the passion that produces changes and revival. Without pain, you cannot grow a passion that demand that you change, that you make adjustment. But this is the key thing about circumstances. Circumstances are the causes that are designed to make you press in for the revival. I want you to understand this. So there must be a circumstance. Catch this picture. Once there is a circumstance, it creates a dissatisfaction. That dissatisfaction becomes a cause. It becomes a cause that you need to be rectified. When you study 1 Kings, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28 to verse 30, is the story of David. David's father, Jesse, sent him to go take some cheese and bread to his brothers and then bring back the outlook of the battle. And coincidentally, when he got there, all of a sudden, Goliath was appearing. And as usual, Goliath was taunting the children of Israel. He got his attention. That circumstance itself brought a dissatisfaction to this young boy. How can this individual defy the armies of the living God? He found a cause. And when his brother Eliab tried to intimidate him and slight him, why are you here? Who did you leave those three sheep or those three members you got in your congregation? He looked at Eliab and said, isn't there a cause? You see the same thing that I see. You hear the same thing that I hear. But inside of you, there is no dissatisfaction. You feel comfortable. You feel comfortable about the situation and the circumstance that is happening in the nation, that is happening in the church, that is happening in your region. As long as you feel comfortable, you will never be dissatisfied. But the moment you get dissatisfied, all of a sudden, you find a cause. And it is that cause that becomes the foundation of your prayer, of your intercession, because you want to see changes take place. Put Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Nehemiah 1, verse 1 to 3. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Achaliah, is very 
It's good that you understand it. There are two names Maya in scripture. But he's focusing on this one. And it came to pass in the mount of Cheslu in the, in, in the 20th year as I was in Soshan, the palace, go to the nest. That Anani, one of my brethren came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were what? Left. What? Of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. Now look at verse 3. Very key. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity, they in the province are what? In great affliction. Number two, and reproach. Number three, the walls of Jerusalem also is what? Is broken down and the gates thereof are burnt with fire. Now just hearing that lays the foundation of a circumstance. The question is, if we will put Nigeria, if we will put your region in that position, how do you feel? Is there an element of dissatisfaction that takes place in you or that takes place in me? Because the circumstances has to create a dissatisfaction. And it is that dissatisfaction that just become a cause. Ever heard of women who at some point had an abortion before they got born again? And they really couldn't have children after they were born again. They turned that circumstance into a cause. And all of a sudden, they began to help individuals who have babies out of wedlock. The same with people who once lived a life of prostitution. The circumstances brings a dissatisfaction. That dissatisfaction creates a cause. And that cause becomes the foundation that revival gets released on. Number two, the second catalyst is the spirit of concern for change. The spirit of concern for change. To be concerned means to have a deep feeling. The key word is deep. A deep feeling of worry and care about a person, about a place, and about a thing. When I'm concerned, there is a deep feeling of worry. A deep feeling of care about what I'm concerned about. It is important, the scripture that I'm going to share with you. I want you to go with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Please put it on the screen. Verse 19 to verse 22. 19 to verse 22. I want you to see three things. In this verse, the first thing you have to see are individuals that were concerned about their city. The second thing that you have to see is that they were able to locate what the problem is. The third thing that you will find is that there was a solution. So the Bible says, and the men of the city, the men of the city, 
Another translation says, the leaders of the city, they said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee. He says situation. Other translation says it's different. The city is pleasant. I mean, when you drive into the city, there is the skyscrapers. The lights are everywhere. It's the same with the church. I mean, the worship team is great. The order, the structure, it looks so pleasant. The city is pleasant, as my Lord see it. But notice the problem that we have. The water in the city is bitter. And the land is barren. As much as the city looks so pleasant. And when you look outwardly, you see a pleasant city. But the water is bitter. And the land is barren. So what do you do? Yeah, you find the man that came. We want a change. We want you to do something. And the prophet Elisha then introduced two key things to cure cities whose water is bitter and whose ground is barren. He said, give me not just a bowl, but give me what? A new bowl. Give me a new bowl because you can't function in your present with the old method, old strategy of doing a thing to see something new in your life. Give me a new bowl. And along with the new bowl, give me salt. And what Elijah did was to pour the salt in the bowl and pour the salt into the water. And the water was healed. If you go to Joshua, don't, you don't need to turn to Joshua chapter 6 verse 26. It was the cause that Joshua placed on Jericho. And he declared to Jericho, he said two things is going to happen. If any man tries to build the foundation of this city, the firstborn is going to die. And if anyone attempts to build the wall, the younger son is going to die. And when you read scripture, that word came to pass. It said. So there was a curse on the city. It, said. it takes a group of people who had concern. They had a concern for their city, for their nation, for their church to actually see a shift or a deliverance to take place. Now, what I when you study scripture, 722 times in the Bible that the Bible talks about water itself. More times than faith, more times than prosperity, more times than other truth in scripture. So at some point, it must be significant. So water represents life, okay? It actually represents the vision of a place. It represents that which sustains, that which gives up. But then the land represents the foundation of our fruitfulness. The land is barren, the land is unproductive, and the land is dead. So if the foundation of your fruitfulness is the land, and the land is barren and unfruitful, that means there is no success that will happen. But a cure 
is that God is looking for a new bowl. Now, bowl, which is key, represent a container or a thing that carries something. You carry, it's a vessel. God is looking for a new bowl. Someone, a church that has not been contaminated, a bowl that is separated to the purpose and the will of God. He's looking for that bowl. The question is, will you, will this church, will you as a believer become a new bowl that God pours the salt in that he uses to cure the city? Salt represents covenant in this context. Only three times in the Bible did the Bible speak about the covenant of salt itself. So when God raises a new bowl, the new bowl comes into agreement with him and all of a sudden, the purposes of God is unleashed and the city, the nation, the church, all the people become cured. God is waiting for you to become his agent. But in order for you to become his agent, you have to have a concern. You know, many individuals have the opportunity, but our response to what the Spirit of God does on our behalf is to look at situation and circumstances and just walk away. Look for just a moment to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1. Very key. See the concern of brother Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Can you put it on the screen? And it came to pass, when I heard these words, when I heard these words, that I sat down and what? I wept and mourned certain days and fasted. And what did I do? And prayed before the God of heaven. It was his concern for the spirit of change that actually got him in that situation. Now, Nehemiah, like some people, will have made an excuse. Well, we pray about it. I will bring it to my prayer teams, but he made it personal. Personal. It became personal to him. And his reaction was an evidence of how personal it was to him. If you study the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 9, verse 1 to 10, and Ezra chapter 10, verse 1, it was the same response that Ezra had for the children of Israel that were coming out of captivity when he realized that this individual became unfaithful to God, the God that delivered them. Concern, deep concern, is one of the steps or the things that God uses to activate Revival. Number three, the third. The third catalyst is earnestness of prayer. Earnestness of prayer. And really most people who believe God for revival spend a lot of time in this area. Consistent prayer that comes from a burdened heart and a concerned heart releases an atmosphere of revival. It may not happen in a day. It may not happen in a year. But as long as you keep that burden in your heart and you keep that concern and you continue to pray 
eventually the reign of God is going to show up. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 5 to verse 6. I want you to see the principle there. Nehemiah 1 verse 5 to verse 6. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and what? Mercy for them that love him and observe his what? Commandment. Look at verse 6. Let thine ear now be attentive and the eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and what? Come on, day and what? Come on, day and night. Not once every six months. Or once every week, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. He prayed. He interceded. The same with Elijah, which we spoke in 1 Kings chapter 18. And the potency of Elijah's prayer was actually revealed in James chapter 5, verse 16 to verse 18. The fourth catalyst is the confession of sins to God. There is never a revival, never a revival. That the confession of sins is never a part of the foundation of that revival. Whether it is our personal sin that we confess, or the sins of a church, or a family, or the sins of your nation itself. Every revival, every reawakening, a restoration, every renewal that takes place, whether in the previous ones and in the Bible, you will always find that it is absolutely connected to our willingness to confess our sins. To confess the sins of the land on the behalf of the city. On the behalf of the nation. On the behalf of the church. And this is a man. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a pastor. He did not have any title. He was just a cup bearer. Just a lay person. Who had a burden. To see change. To see revival. And I guarantee you beloved. That if you keep these steps. As part of the progression to believe in God for new rain every single time, you will experience rain in your life. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 6a to verse 7. You see, while in the middle, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Ezra did the same thing. When you study the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 1 to verse 19, Daniel did the same thing. He confessed the sins of the children of Israel. In fact, he named them. He named each sin on their behalf, 
revivalist, those with the burden and the grace to see the spirit of revival often stand on behalf of other individuals to confess their sins. What did the scripture says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, put it on the screen. It's a popular scripture that we recite. But notice what he says, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people that are called by my name, if they shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Guess what will happen? Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their word? Will forgive their word? Are you still breathing? I mean, we Nigerians, we scream a lot. So come on, okay? And will what? Forgive their sin. He will forgive your sin. And then what will he do? He will heal the land. He will heal the land. The heavens get open and a breakthrough begins to take place. Yeah, go to angels there. That's why you can never be defeated. You, 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 you know, you know the thing that bothers me sometimes. When I hear people talk about God and Satan, have you ever heard them talk about it? They talk about God, then they talk about Satan. As if they are on equal level. And whenever I hear people say it, I like to shut them up. No, 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 no. You can't talk about God and Satan. You can only talk about Satan with Michael. See, Michael is an angel. Satan is Lucifer, an angel. He's a fallen angel. The comparison should be with Michael. But it should never be with the creator of heaven and earth. The one that has all the power itself. The moment you get a revelation about who God is and his sovereignty and his power, that revelation becomes the foundation that defeats the consciousness of the enemy in your life. You don't freak out when the enemy attacks you. You don't panic but the enemy, he has showed up in my room many times. He has showed up. And I said, don't bother me. Don't bother me. You can be compared to Jehovah God. See, but we speak more of Satan than we speak more of the strength of our God. We tend to have more revelation of Satan than we have of God himself. And the reason for that is over a prolonged period of time, we have lifted Satan to come to that equal level. They are never on the same level. Never on the same level. How can you compare the creator with the creature himself? And how can you honor the creature over the creator? It is only when you don't have a revelation of the strength of who God is. That's when you panic. 
and you are afraid because of the degree of your connection with God. So there are two angels there. And they are there to bring protection. And the wonderful thing about the angels of God, when you study it, especially when Jacob stumbled into a place. You remember the story? He was actually heading towards getting married. And the Bible says he stumbled into a place. The city was called Luz, L-U-Z. But eventually it gets changed to Bethel. But the process was this. Jacob lighted. Jacob had to lay there. He had to commit to the ground and use the stone of that ground as a pillow. It is in his commitment that God gave him an access to heaven. And when he had the access to heaven, he saw what? Angels what? Ascending and what? Descending. And the principle means this, that angels are all over around you and around me. And they are waiting to be activated to work on our behalf. Glory to God. Apostle, you guys prayed a lot in this place. Because the heavens is open. The heavens is open. The spirit of change has come. It has come. These five years of celebration is not just a celebration. It is a new identity that is being released in you. And a new grace is coming upon you. I can guarantee you by the word of the Lord that when these services are over, you are going to become a new man. A new man. I said a new man. Where there is a new man, there is a new church. Where there is a new man, there is a new church. Shoo. You could touch it. Just like Jacob said. Why didn't I know this? That this is an access door to heaven. And I did not recognize it. Let me give you the last and I'll close. The fifth one or the fifth catalyst is the dependence and trust on God's promise on God's promise and compassionate character the dependence and trust on God's promise or God's promises and, comp and compassionate character now this has to do with holding God to his word it has to do with taking God at his word and reminding God of what he has promised. It is part of how we activate a revival. There's a promise that was made. And it's so interesting when you actually read it in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 8 to verse 11. Nehemiah was making a reference to the very word of the Lord that was spoken to Moses in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Deuteronomy and was using those words to establish what he expects. Every promise speaks of the character of God. Every promise. When God speaks to you, he puts his character on the line. When he speaks to you, 
He puts his character on the line. Nehemiah chapter 1, 8 to 11. Let's wrap up really quickly. 8 to 11. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest, thy servant Moses, saying, if we transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations, the nest. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments, now remember, this is Nehemiah talking now, and do them, thou there, though they were of you, cast out unto the uttermost part of the heavens, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Verse 10. All of these are references to what Moses established in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Now these are thy servants and the people whom thou hast redeemed by that great power and by the strong hand. Verse 11. Verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thy ear be attentive to the prayer of the servant and to the prayer of the servants who desire to fear their name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day and grant him mercy in the sight of these men. Now, remember, all Nehemiah was doing was bringing the character of God into position. That's the same thing that you find in the Hebrews 11, 11. When the Bible speaks of Sarah, it says, by faith, Sarah got strength. I, I need you to put that in the Amplified Translation. Amplified Classic Translation. Amplified Classic tra Translation. It said, by faith, even Sarah herself received the physical power to conceive a child, even when she was long past the age for it. Now notice how God's character comes in. Because she considered God who had given her the promise to be what? Reliable, trustworthy, and in his word, true to his word. Every promise reveals the character of God. The promise of healing represents the character of God. Every promise of deliverance reveals the character of God. And so when Nehemiah here was now depending and trusting on God's promises and the compassionate character that God has, he was expecting that something was going to take place. I close with this scripture. Go with me to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. It took four months. It took four months for the prayer of Nehemiah to become a reality for the manifestation. Look at what verse 6 says. So built we the walls. And all the walls were what? Joined together unto the half thereof. What made it happen? For the people had a mind to walk. Lift up your hands. The presence of the Lord is already here. Those of you that are watching this broadcast, wherever you are, within Nigeria or outside of Nigeria, I want you to expect that the same grace, the same power, 
that is happening here is the very the same power that is happening wherever you are. If you are a pastor, a leader with a church, and you expecting, your expectation is for revival, a renewal. I want something new. Something new. Do you know this song? You guys could sing a lot. Do something new in my heart. Something new. Something new in my heart. Oh. Now, I, I, I want you to, I want you to oh. listen to me. Just hold on a minute. I know you know how to sing it. But I want you to forget everyone that is close to you. I want you to lock in by faith. Including those of you that are at home. That as we sing this song, it becomes a weapon. A revelatory weapon that is activated by the Spirit of God to begin to walk in every areas of your life to set you up for a revival, your church, your ministry, for revival to take place. Come on, let's go. One, two. Something new in my life. Yes. Something new Thank you, Lord. in my life. Thank you, Lord. Do something new in my life. Oh, Lord. Do something new in my life. Something new in my life. Do something new in my life. I want you to hear me. Keep on playing. I cannot live without you. I cannot live without you. I cannot live without you. Ah, 
these are moments that the spirit of the Lord begins to visit our hearts. He begins to touch areas of your life. If you are sick in your body, if there is an emotional situation taking place, I want you to expect tonight that the very hand of the Lord is stretched towards you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for moments like these. Thank you for an open heaven. I come against sicknesses, diseases. I come against depressions and discouragement. I come against fears and worriness, anxieties, every attacks of the enemy. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. I break your powers and I command everyone that have heard the sound of my voice to be loose. I command you to be loose. I command you to be free. I command you to be delivered. In the name of Jesus, I prophesy upon you that you are coming into the newness of a new anointing in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you tonight. We honor you and we bless you. We receive you. We receive you. We receive you. I cannot live without you. Cannot live without you. I cannot live without you. Oh Lord, please do something new in my heart. Something new. My heart, something new in my heart. Karate, Rakate, Angels all over this place. Oh, just worship him. Nanaka, shake him under cap. And the Kusheliga. Nina Kusi get written the Busuaka. Manshke. 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 Won't so prepare. Bring the kusunakas kedevoda. Gankronde eskinde kritele kusunangata. Thank you for deliverances. Thank you for refreshings. Refreshings that comes from the presence of the Lord. Thank you for bones that are requickening. The divine reawakening to every heart. Thank you, Lord. 
Christ's name. Come on, if you love him, give him a shout. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Be seated for just a few minutes. want to just introduce uh, some books. I don't know where they can. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed by it. To get a copy of this message, please call or text 805 223 4444 or send an email to info at rogic.org that is info at rhogic.org You can also download the Horn of Revival Ministry app on Google Play or Apple Store to connect with a variety of free quality resources including Rogic Radio and our refreshing daily devotions to take you higher in life. And for real-time ministry, you can follow or like our Facebook page, Revival House of Glory International Church and Horn of Revival Ministry. You could also subscribe to our YouTube page at Rogic TV and at Apostle Goodheart to watch messages from the Horn of Revival Ministry. God bless you.